Hello. How are you guys doing this morning? Boy, I missed you all last week. I didn't see a one of you in church last week. Not a one of you. Oh, man. Uh, I am glad that you are here this morning. I'm glad to be here this morning. I enjoyed my vacation. I got uh, some time away last week. We got some time away. It wasn't just me. I didn't go on vacation. Although I should probably back up. We went on vacation as a family. Uh, we got some time away as a family. And then um, my in-laws very kindly uh, watched Claire and Asher for us so that we could get vacation away from our family. <laughs> And I won't tell you which one was more relaxing um, for Elizabeth and me. But we got away and had some great relaxing times. We went off to the exotic locale of Kansas City. Yep. Yep. Kansas City. I figured, what's the place that's as far away as possible from all the sharks? And it was Kansas City. <laughs> so we went to Kansas City. Um, the older I get, the more I realize I'm getting old. And the things that I love are very, very simple, right? Just give me, just give me time away, and I, I enjoy it. And I mentioned to several people, actually, even yesterday, I was talking to some people about it, um, and just kind of mentioned the fact that uh, as I got away, there was like a, a transition point. I remember. I know exactly the point at which it was. But there was this weird transition that I've never had happen before when I was on vacation where I would say, for me personally, there was like this transition from being a vacation to being what I would call a sabbatical. And, and to me, there's a big difference between those. And, and it's never happened to me before where it just felt like a, a spiritual time away. And it was really just incredible uh, in that way. And so I enjoyed it. It was good. We are glad to be back. Um, we're thankful to be back with you. Uh, today, um, there's many benefits to getting away for a little while on vacation. One of the benefits for you is that you had an opportunity to sit under the ministry of Pastor Nathan Mortensen here at Praise Assembly. Yeah. That was an appropriate amount of clapping, not too loud, uh, <laughs> but loud enough, you know what I'm saying? Um, I listened to his message last week, so, so good, and what I love about it, there's a couple things. First, Pastor Nathan is a, a gifted communicator, and so I'm thankful, I'm ridiculously thankful um, that he's a part of the staff here at Praise Assembly, and, but at, at the same time, okay, but I'm glad to be back. guys are bad at this game. It's uh, so good, though. I, even I was listening to the message during the week last week, and, and what I love about it is some of the things that God's been working in his heart, God's also working in my heart. I don't know if that makes sense. And, and the Holy Spirit speaking to him, a lot of those things the Holy Spirit was speaking, even the verses he used were verses that I had been going over personally. And so it's just such a beautiful thing to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to one person at the same time he's speaking to another, and it's just good. And so I'm thankful for Pastor Nathan, his time, uh, and, and I enjoyed uh, his ministry even from, from afar last week. Uh, the, it's good to get away. I enjoyed getting away one, like two days. I didn't even, like I lost my phone for a couple of days, and I, I was totally good with that. And that for me is unique. Like I... That was, that was probably the best part, was when I had no idea where my phone was, and I was like, eh, not a big deal. That was incredible. But with those sorts of things, you always have to pay the piper, right? Like, you get away for a week, and you know when you get back, your inbox is overflowing, right? And so I came in, like, middle of the week just to sign a few checks and do some things here, and I walked through the office, and I looked at my physical inbox, and literally it was overflowing. And I thought, oh, that's not even the digital one, right? And so then I checked my inbox on my email, hundreds of emails. And so I was trying to think, okay, so how do I, how do I make sure that as I get back into the swing of things early this week that I'm prepared for it and I've got those things kind of lined out? And so I figured late last week what I would do is I'd go through and hit unsubscribe to a bunch of things and kind of clean things out so that I could reduce it to a few dozen important emails that I might be able to focus on on Monday. And so just looking at the subject and, and what the, you know, the first line is, which they show you in my inbox, 
Um, I just figured out, okay, this I can just, you know, unsubscribe to, but these are the ones that I'll get to on Monday. So if you sent me an email over the last couple of weeks, I'll probably get to it tomorrow or Tuesday, okay? So try to get to those early this week. But a few of those I wasn't entirely sure. I'd be reading it, and I'd be like, ah, is that, is that something that's, that I, sh I should leave unread, or is that something I keep my inbox pr pretty clear that, that I should just get rid of? And so I'd read those a little bit further. And there was one today that I wanted to read to you, if that would be okay with you. You guys okay with that? I want to read you an email that I received this last week. This was an email that was actually uh, submitted on our website. There's a little link there where it says, Ask the Pastor, okay? Um, and, and there's lots of fun things that we get from that. And, and it goes through several desks before it makes it to me. And, and yet, like, there's plenty of spam. Like, you know, if you guys are interested in investing in a, a prince in, in Africa, I've got some opportunities for you. I'll make sure to forward those on to you. Um, or it, there, there's a possibility that at least one of you is in jail in the Philippines this morning. And so um, we get those all the time. And so normally, you know, we just pay attention to that and before it gets it to me. But this one made it all the way to me. But you start reading it, you're like, is that real? Is it not? And so I kept reading. And so I want to share that with you. Here's what it says. Good day. I am Reverend David A. Zamudio, Jr. I am currently pastoring the Pentecostal Church Assembly of God in Legazpi City here in the Philippines. PCAG is one of the churches pioneered by AG missionaries Reverend Philip and Lois Sharp when they were still serving here in the Philippines way back in the late 1960s. Last December 2018, we celebrated God's 50 years of overflowing grace to his church. Moreover, we were so overwhelmed to have connected with Reverend Philip and Lois Sharp and have received a video message from them. We've learned from them and from Dr. Dave Johnson that they are currently attending your church, Praise Assembly. In connection with this, and on behalf of the leadership of PCAG Legazpi, I would like to courteously ask for your permission to use the name Praise Assembly as a new name of our church. This is in recognition of the efforts and prayers of the two servants of God, Reverend Philip and Lois Sharp, who helped build God's church here in Legazpi City. We are hoping for your consideration and positive response on this concern. Sincerely, Reverend David A. Zamudio, Jr. Dr. Philip and Lois Sharp, I just want you to know there are people much more respectable than me who have honored you over the years, and I, I'm convinced if this church could rename themselves Sharp Assembly, they'd do it. But the closest they could get was Praise Assembly. And so I want to thank you personally on behalf of Praise Assembly for representing this church so well, so well, that they would rename themselves. And more than that, representing the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ so well, faithfully for years. And so we just want to honor you this morning and say thank you for that. You're a blessing to us. You're a blessing to the kingdom of God. You're a blessing to the church around the world. So thank you for that. Thank you for your faithful service. Amen. Praise God. Give honor where honor is due. And I, of course, responded to that email and said, for a small fee, we will allow you to do that. <laughs> uh, uh, Tuesday, we have our board meeting, and because it was an official courteous re request of courtesy, we'll respond officially on behalf of the board and the church uh, from Tuesday. But truly, uh, I mentioned, or maybe it was, pa it was Pastor Burris who mentioned, I'll take credit for it, but he mentioned, um, I, think it was, I think it was publicly, and if not, it was personally, and so you just find out. But one of the things that he most valued about being here at Praise Assembly was having the opportunity uh, to share the Word of God with, with a church like this and the type of people that we have here at Praise Assembly. And I would totally second that motion and say, I'm with him in that. What an opportunity. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to share the Word of God with you. So if you would reach over and grab your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are some that are spread out all across uh, the room this morning. Normally I would tell you at this point to reach over and grab your phone and open it up to praise.fyi. Unfortunately, uh, that, that whole website's down uh, this morning. 
um, and so you won't be able to do that, but, but reach over, grab a Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, expecting to do it digitally or follow along on praise.fyi, there are, again, those spread out all through the seats, and, and if you would grab one, it's important that you have that in front of you. A couple weeks back, I asked you all, on, officially as a pastor of praise, to be praying very specifically as a church for the rest of the year. And I don't know if you've done that. I hope so, if you haven't, um, which I expect that probably some of us have and some of us haven't, mostly because of the fact that I would say in this church and in the church around the world, there are some people who pray and there are some people who don't, just transparently. And so I believe some of you have probably been praying First Chronicles chapter 29, 18 already over this church, and I'm going to ask you to continue to commit to pray that for the rest of the year. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. It's a great prayer to be praying, and so I'm asking that you would pray that uh, with us. And, and, and even as I was doing that, I really, I really just felt from the Holy Spirit, convicted personally, I just felt that, well, I heard him, I, I'm convinced, I heard him ask me a couple of questions which were really difficult for me to answer, painful for me to answer. And I'm going to just share those questions with you this morning, because I think that for those of us who do not, I mean, I think we all pray. I think everybody around the world, whether they're believers or not, at some point will throw a prayer up, right? Like, we all pray. We, we, we do those scattershot, really easy prayers, like, God, help me in the midst of this. God, bless this food. God, help Bob. Um, God, I can't do this. Like, all of those kind of prayers, I think we all offer really very easily. But then there's a different kind of prayer that I think much less of us probably actually do. And I think the reason for it is, transparently, if you do not see the value of prayer, like, truly see it, not just, oh, oh, I've heard sermons on prayer and I know it's important. If you've not experienced personally, like deeply in your heart, if you do not see the value of prayer, you just won't do it, right? You won't put in the time, you won't put in the effort, right? And so there's a couple of questions that kind of popped up in my own mind for my own heart in regards to praying that I just want to share with you this morning. And, and, and let me just ask it like this. When you pray, do you always pray in conjunction with doing something else? Right? Like, so, do you always multitask while you are praying? Do you pray while you're also doing something productive? Do you pray while you're always driving? And I'm not slamming that. I'm, I'm a huge fan of capitalizing on the time that we have while we're driving and we've got nothing else going on. Huge fan. I do it personally. But if that's the only time we pray when we're multitasking or doing something else productive, what does that say about how we value prayer? Right? If I always have to pray in conjunction with something productive, does that mean that I see prayer in and of itself as unproductive? Or if I pray only when I'm driving because that'll get me somewhere, does that mean that I think that prayer will get me nowhere? Right? So, so I'm just asking, and none of us, I can't answer it for you, but you know for yourself, when you pray, is it always in conjunction with something else, or is it prayer standing alone? Because I'm convinced of the fact more and more every day that the biggest things that God will do will always be preceded by prayer. And if that's the case, and we want God to move, then we need to start in praying. And so I want to just do this series, and it's going to be a quick series called Watch and Pray. And as part of that, I want to set it up today by reading a story of how Jesus valued prayer. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 this morning. Matthew chapter 26. Um, if you have one of the church Bibles, it'll be on page 832. Matthew chapter 26. And uh, we're going to start reading right before Jesus heads to the cross. Like he is getting ready to go there. And he knows he's getting ready to go there. And he's told the disciples multiple times, I'm getting ready to go there. And the last thing he does before that is to pray. And that's the part I want to read. It's a story you've read before and probably multiple times, but I want to read it again today because I want to see how Jesus valued prayer and how he did it. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start reading in verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36, page 832. Here's what it says. Then Jesus went with them to a place called 
Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane just means olive press. And, and most likely, it was just a place where there was an olive press. Now, over in John, it actually says that there was a garden there specifically. And so it's a garden around an olive press. That's where you get Garden of Gethsemane. And so here, this is apparently a place that he would go regularly. It says, uh, over in Mark, it said very specifically that he, this was a place that was their custom to go. So when they would come to Jerusalem, I don't know, whenever you're driving somewhere, if there's a place that you always stop. When I go travel, I know the places that I stop for restroom breaks, right? Like there's very specific places that I stop. And unless the kids say, I have to go to the bathroom, those are the places we're going to stop. We know the increments. We know exactly where we're going to go. For them, every time they would go to Jerusalem, apparently, as was their custom, the disciples would stop in this one place. In fact, it says in John that the reason why um, uh, Judas knew where to bring the soldiers along with them was because of the fact that this is where they always were. So I don't know if that means that they were always praying there. I don't know if that's where he would always preach, but this is the place on this night where they've been plenty of times before where he goes to spend that final time in prayer in this garden, in this place on the Mount of Olives called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he leaves behind at least eight disciples and maybe more because he takes with him Peter, James, and John. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So he leaves eight behind. And he takes the three that were with him at the Mount of Transfiguration. He takes with him the three guys, I think it's interesting, the three guys who've committed very specifically that they're willing to die with Jesus. It says all of them said it, but these three in particular are called out. Peter, just before this story, said, listen, if all these other poor saps fall away from you, I'll stay. Right until the very end, I'll go even to death with you. James and John, when their mom came to Jesus and said, hey, I really want James and John to sit on your left and your right in the kingdom of God, he said, can they drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they said, yes, we'll drink it along with you. So these are the three who have committed themselves to go all the way with Jesus. So he calls these three to come along with him just a little bit further, and it says that while he's doing that, he gets sorrowful and troubled. And I think our English version of the sorrowful and troubled is a little weak, but it's what we've got to work with in, in the original language. It's, I mean, he is broken, right? It's a deep, deep sorrow. Even what he says right after that, you can see his very own words. As they set off, the three of them separate, he, it says, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. So Jesus knows where this is headed. He's told the disciples where it's headed. There's nothing here that's taking him by surprise. And as he is walking towards the cross, the last thing he wants to do, knowing where it leads, is to, and I think this is beautiful, I think it's also terrible, that the three that he looks to in this moment, he says, come away and, and you come a little further along with me are Peter, James, and John, these three fishermen. And so here is the creator and upholder of the universe in his deepest, darkest pain leading up to the cross. And who does he look to to join with him in prayer for comfort in that? Well, three fishermen, and they fail to do it. I think that's beautiful because of the fact that it so perfectly illustrates the incarnation, Jesus Christ coming to earth, God himself coming in the form of man, that in his weakest moment, the three that he looks to are two, three fishermen who all fail him. But he says, come along with me, I'm sorrowful even to the point of death, and he says to them then, remain here and watch with me. Remain here and watch with me me. That phrase jumped out at me. Watch with me. Watch with me. I wondered, what in the world does Jesus mean by watch with me? Because he keeps using that word over and over. And I read every single time in the Bible that it says watch. 
right? So sometimes when you see that word, it means like to stand on the ramparts at the, at the edge of the city, right on the city wall and watch for the enemy and in that way be watching. And Jesus, of course, uses it like a servant who's looking out the window watching for his master. And, and, and so I'm wondering, what does he mean here specifically when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's approaching the cross when he says to the disciples, watch with me, remain here and watch with me because it says then after he does that he moves on a little further and this is what it looks like for Jesus right after he says this is what I'm going to do I'm going to be watching and you also I want you to watch with me here's what it says verse 39 and going a little further and and, and the, the original language here is I think it kind of looks you see already that he's he's moving towards the cross like you see it because it says and pulling a little away from them I think there's He's, he's moving, now, now he's left behind these disciples and he's moving, pulling away from them a little bit. It says, it says and moving on a little further, and he came, uh, sorry, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. Now this is unique because this is the only time in scripture, of course there's plenty of times in scripture where Jesus prays. But this is the only time in scripture where Jesus lays prostrate face down to the ground in prayer. It's at least the only time that we have recorded. There's plenty of other people in Scripture who pray that way, like, God is holy, I'm not, and so I fall on my face when I'm in prayer before him. Like, I get that, but Jesus, this is the first time that we see that happen. So when we see watching, this is what it looks like for Jesus. It includes falling on his face before God and beginning to pray. But when he prays, it's not like a, God, you're holy and I'm not, and that's why I'm laying on my face before you. Because even look at the words that he uses. Here's what he prays. And said, my father, my father. So even as he's laying face down before God, he is referring to him as his father. Which I think is important for a couple of reasons. I think it's important because of the fact that this is how he told his disciples to pray back in Matthew chapter 6, right? Our Father. So Jesus is practicing what he preaches, which is important. I mean, I'd hope that Jesus would practice what he preaches. But I also think that it's important for us to see that where others would fall flat on their face before God because of the fact that he's holy and they're not, that Jesus is falling flat on his face before God because of the fact that he is in so close communion with his Father. My Father, he says. And he continues on and says... My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not what I want, but what you want. Verse 40. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. Now here... I guess I thought the disciples were just bums when I used to read this. Like, seriously. You can't stay awake and pray with Jesus when he's praying in this way. But then I read the version in Luke, and in Luke it actually says that they were asleep from sorrow. So it's not just that they were like, all right, I'm going to bed. It was, it was that they were emotionally exhausted. And, and if you read the story and you back up and you see some of the reasons why they were emotionally exhausted. Because in the, in the story of the communion, which just came before this in the institution of the Lord's Supper, he very clearly says, listen, one of you is going to betray me. And in response, they were all sorrowful. Is it I? I can imagine that being emotionally exhausting. And then right after that, he tells them, listen, they're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to be scattered. He's told them, tonight, Peter, you're going to betray me and you're going to deny me three times. He says to him. So, I mean, I can understand why they would be emotionally exhausted at this point. But that's the point at which they are falling asleep. They are asleep from sorrow. So, I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point. I have. Where for some reason, you are crying to the point where you cannot cry anymore. And the tears don't come just because the ducts have stopped. And you get to the point where... You just shut down. That's what it says happens to the disciples. They were sleeping from sorrow. And so he comes specifically to Peter, James, and John because he addresses Peter. 
And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? So Jesus has only been gone for one hour here. And, and I guess then, if he's praying that prayer, that he's prayed that same prayer for one hour. It does say over in Luke that a couple other things happen during that hour. First, that an angel comes to him and strengthens him. The second thing that it says happens is after he receives that strength from the angel, he prays even more earnestly, more intensely, to the point where his sweat becomes like drops of blood. So watching to Jesus is praying with all the strength he's got, and as soon as he's got more strength, he relies on that strength to pray even harder. Okay. For an hour he prays in that way, and then he comes back to the disciples, and they're asleep. And he says, you could not watch with me for one hour. And then he heads back to prayer. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed. Oh, sorry, I skipped a verse. I can't skip that verse. That's an important one, too. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So now three times he's mentioned watch. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he says you want to. You want to pray. I get that you want to. But ultimately the human experience is that quite honestly you're weak. Right? In this situation you are sleeping from sorrow. You're completely and totally drained. But he says to him, you could not watch even still. And here's the important thing, that you might watch and pray in order that you might not enter into temptation. Have you noticed how hard it is to commit yourself in prayer? Have you ever noticed how hard it is that as soon as you decide, I'm going to pray for this thing, how many distractions come in? So I, this week, I was doing some of that um, multitasking prayer. Very specifically, I'd, we got back this week, and I, I really, with all the rain and everything, I needed to get out, and I needed to mow. And I needed to brush hog. Not just mow, but I needed to brush hog. And so I didn't think about the fact that there was a heat advisory, but I just got out there and started to mow. Put on my big earmuffs with the, the noise canceling and, and, you know, thing that runs over my head and mowed for about six hours, right? I didn't realize that, I mean, I had some people who said to me, oh, man, you guys went somewhere sunny. No, I brush hawked. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I didn't realize until it was too late that I was getting so much sun. Like, I didn't, I got to the point where really, truly, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, you need to go back inside because it was like that. And it, I had to cut it off because it was so hot. I was out there six hours. And it wasn't until that night <laughs> we went out to eat and we were sitting at the table and all the waiters and waitresses were so kind and happy and they would walk past my table and they would all smile. Now, looking back on it, I realized it was a smirk, not a smile. And they were chuckling. Like, I'm like, oh, man, they're so jolly here. And then I realized that there's this white band that goes right across the top of my head. And that's why I'm not bowing my head in prayer today. And those of you up in the balcony getting a little extra. There you go. So, but all day, all through that time while I was brush hogging, I just had committed myself, really, I didn't want to listen to anything. I wanted to be in prayer for this church. And I wanted to be in prayer for people who were kind of going through some very specific things. And I know those things, and they're close and dear to my heart. This church is obviously close and dear to my heart. And I'm only brush hogging. I mean, there's nothing to look at but grass. And I am telling you, when you commit yourself to prayer... You can get distracted by the stupidest of things. And I cannot tell you how many times I needed to chase after my own mind. Because I'd be like, wait a second, I'm not praying anymore. I'm thinking about something completely and totally unrelated. Now why is that? 
Why is it that we have to struggle so hard to pray? Why is it that the moment we commit ourselves to prayer, that there are distractions and there are doubts and there are deceptions? Well, I know where they're coming from. They're coming from the enemy. And if that's the case, why is he working so hard to keep us from praying? Unless he knows something that we don't. Unless he recognizes something that we do not value enough. So the moment we commit to prayer, all of a sudden, distractions are so plentiful. So when Jesus says, watch and pray, I think he's saying something very specific. And it took me six days to get to this, by the way. As I was pouring over the scripture every single day, it wasn't until day six that I realized what it was that Jesus was saying. Watch and pray. And I read every time that Jesus said that. And, and, and I see here, watch. He's just saying, focus and pray. Focus. Because of the fact that the moment you commit yourself to pray, not like a shooting off a scattershot prayer, but the moment that you say, I am going to pray for this thing very in particular, and I'm going to aim for it, the moment you do that, the enemy is going to attack. And there's a reason why. Because it does something. And here Jesus says to them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now here, I wasn't planning on using this verse, but I think it's too important not to. I want to jump over to the Luke version of this same passage. Actually, just before this passage, I guess. It's in Luke chapter 22. Um, Luke chapter 22, uh, let's start in verse 31. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. This is right before this. This is where he's predicting Jesus or uh, uh, Peter's denial. And here's what he says in verse 31. Simon... Simon, behold, pay attention. Stop for a moment and think about this. Behold, Satan demanded to have you. Now, there's a couple things that I got to say about this. Number one, the, the word you there is plural, okay? The word you in this entire verse is plural. That he demanded to have you that he might sift you you is plural, like wheat. So he's saying, Satan has demanded to have you all, right? If you were in Pittsburgh, you'd say, no, that's what you say here. You guys don't know this? No, Pittsburgh is yins. If you're in Pittsburgh, you say yins. If you're in Springfield, you say y'all, okay? Now, when you're in Pittsburgh, you won't feel like a complete and total fool when someone says yins, and you're like, what in the world? Yins, I know, right? Okay, anyways. So he says, Satan demanded to have yins. And he says that he might sift you like wheat. Now the second thing I need to say about this is that word demanded. That to me is a scary word. So the first thing I do when I see that is I'm going to look at every other time that that verse is, or that word is used anywhere in the Bible. And unfortunately it's not. So I can't be 100% sure what, G, what Peter, or what Satan is saying or demanding here, but the closest we can get is this. He lays claim on them. Now, if Jesus says to me, Alan, I want you to know that Satan has laid claim on you, that will cause me some fear. Here he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you all, that he might sift you all like wheat, but... I have prayed singular for you, that you, your faith, may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So, Jesus who sees the heavenlies, sees that Satan came to God and laid claim on the disciples. So Jesus knows that temptation is coming, and none of us have any idea what those three days were like between Friday and Sunday for those disciples. We don't know the temptation that they underwent. What we do know is that Satan had laid claim on them for that time. And it was a dark time, I can guarantee you, of that. 
And he knows that that temptation is coming. What does he do in response? Oh, I've prayed for you. So when you've turned, Peter, you strengthen your brothers. Jesus values prayer. And he knows it does something. So he says to the disciples, watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And that may sound like it's the exact same thing he prayed before, but there's some Subtle and yet important differences. The first time he prayed, if this can pass from me, if it is possible, let it pass from me. Now he's moved beyond that. If this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping. And Mark, it actually says this second time, they had no words for him. They had nothing that they could say to him when he found them sleeping again. For their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, He went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And so he heads to the cross as Judas and the soldiers approach. When I was younger, we, my family, had a Christmas tree farm. And every year we would drive up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and we would cut down trees and bale them and throw them on the back of a truck, haul them back down to Kenosha, Wisconsin. And in our front yard we would set up these massive poles and around it we would run lights. And then we would sell Christmas trees in Kenosha, Wisconsin from Escanaba, Michigan. So, one of the jobs, and I I call it a job lightly because of the fact that we didn't get paid, but one of the jobs, I guess you got paid in character, so that's something. One of the jobs, and there were plenty of them, we worked hard, at least that's what I think. I'm sure I was like no help based on being a father. I think I just got in the way, but anyways. One of the jobs that was important was the job where you had to watch for customers. Maybe because there were six of us. Maybe it was just cheaper. Maybe they didn't have motion detectors there. I I don't know. But literally, every moment that we were open, somebody needed to be watching for customers. And so there were two windows on the house. The the lot was west of the house, and so there was one window that was right in front that you could see right out, and there was another bay window that was on the south of the house. If you turned at the right angle, you could see right down the driveway. And we just called it short, we, shorthand for it, we just called it who's on watch right now. So you'd work for an hour or two just watching. I hated that job. I hated that job because of the fact that you couldn't like do anything else while you were watching. Like, because the moment that you'd look away, that's when the customer would come in. And so you had to be on watch constantly. And so it was just this constant fight to kind of pay attention and to watch for customers, and you just did it the entire time. That's why I think Jesus uses this word. And that's why I think the scriptures use this word. Because I did read every time. And I don't know what you think of when you think of that word. I think of that. The struggle, the fight, the constant effort to keep focus on what I'm supposed to be focusing on. And I think, I don't know what you think about when you hear of watching and praying. Some people, I think, the picture that they get in their mind is those watch night services that we used to do on New Year's Eve, that kind of thing. Some people, I think, the the image they get in their mind is almost like our responsibility as those who watch and pray is to stand on the ramparts of the kingdom of God and watch our evil culture and pray against it. So it's super important that we know what it is that we're supposed to be focusing on. Because if we don't know what it is we're supposed to be focusing on, we can completely miss what Jesus is telling us to do. 
And I'm convinced of the fact that he's not talking about that standing on the ramparts and watching culture. I think maybe sometimes we approach it that way and we're completely off base. Because Jesus didn't need the disciples to tell him when Judas and the Roman soldiers or the soldiers were coming. Right? They were all asleep. He didn't need like an extra couple seconds of warning before they came around the corner. He's the one who told them, rise because they're coming. Most of the time, actually every time that Jesus says the word watch, he's not talking about watching evil. He's talking about watching the master. And what does Jesus do as he watches? Face down to the ground, praying to his father. So very specifically, he's talking about watching and focusing on something in particular. And this is, I think, the greatest struggle and Unfortunately, no, I should back up. I don't think it's a struggle because I think most people do not actually struggle in prayer. And the reason why is first, the enemy is working constantly against us to keep us from it. And second, I don't think we value the actual work and struggle enough to make it happen. And yet, if the greatest works of God are going to come in answer to prayer, How can we expect him to move at and through praise assembly if we are not first a praying and watching church? And so it's so important that we know what is it that we are focusing on and how do we focus? And so I read again every time that it said the word watch and there were three words that kept coming up over and over and over again for watching. And so what I want to do as part of this series is I just want to go through those three things over the next three weeks, and they are this, sober-minded, self-controlled, and awake. Sober-minded, self-controlled, and awake. That's what Jesus means when he says, watch and pray. So welcome to watch and pray. Here's what we're going to do this week, unfortunately, or maybe, no, not unfortunately, I'm going to give you an assignment because I want us to become a church that can learn to focus. And I'm convinced that this is, should be the greatest struggle for this church is to watch and pray. And yet, listen, if you are not praying for your kids, you are losing the battle because there are things that can only happen in prayer. I don't care how good of a parent you think you are. You can raise them as good. You cannot impact and affect the heart. God only can do that. And so if you're not praying for that to happen, you are losing the battle. And so here's the assignment for this week. Once praise.fyi gets back up, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., There are 52 people from Praise who are getting on a bus and heading to kids' camp. 52. So every single one of them have taken their first name for the sake of security, and we've put them on the bottom of the message notes. 52 means uh, 10 a day plus 2. 10 a day for 5 days. Here's what I'm asking. That as a church... You would commit to praying one minute. I'm just asking for one minute per person. One minute. Ten a day. Ten minutes a day. Focused in prayer. And I guarantee you what will happen. I know what the enemy will do. But I want you to push through. Force your way forward. Focus. Watch and pray. For those 52 names. For one week. There was another time that I remember watching. I had done something really bad. Really, really bad. And um, I'm not going to tell you what it was. Uh, But my mom said to me, when your dad gets home, you are in so much trouble. You know what's funny? I went to that exact same window that I hated so much and I watched 
diligently, earnestly, strengthened by an angel, I watched more earnestly. Why? Because my heart was in it. I wanted to do that. And if it does not start with your heart, you will not pray in this way. As you're praying for those kids, there's a passage that I feel like is so important for us to pray. It's in Lamentations. It's not going to be up on the screen. It's chapter 2, verse 19. Here's what it says. Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night, watches, pour out your heart like water. You cannot pour out your heart like water if there's no water in your heart. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. This is what I'm asking you to pray over the kids and all of those. We also put the staff members who are going to be going to camp as well on there just so you could be praying for every single one of them. One minute. Can you give them one minute? Focus and pray. And then I'm asking that in that same way you would focus, you would watch and pray for this church. That God would keep forever what he has done in our hearts. Keep forever such purposes, such thoughts and purposes in the hearts of his people. And direct our hearts towards him. We'll always, always, always begin in prayer. For Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it actually refers to this and talks about what it was like for Jesus to pray in this way. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him. Jesus knew, going into that, God the Father was able to save him. And he was heard. He knew he was heard. My Father, face to the ground. And he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, being made the perfect Savior, tested and tried in every way, just as we are being the perfect Savior, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey him. Jesus, and because of what he accomplished, now we also cry, my Father. And the enemy will fight against you tooth and nail, to keep you from praying. And if that doesn't say all you need to know about the value of prayer, there's nothing else I can say. So may we be a praying church. Jesus fought and struggled and prayed and cried out and suffered in order that we might also pray our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. So today, here's what I'm going to ask. That you would pray in that way. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I am asking as the pastor of praise, with all of the authority that comes with that, I am asking that you would be a church that watches and prays. And we're going to talk about what that means over the next three weeks. But for this week, I'm asking for one minute. One minute for each of those kids. Ten minutes a day. Watch and pray. See what the enemy does. And see then what God does. See what God does. Now if you're in here and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, boy, 
Those words in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 should scare the living daylights out of you. I demanded, said Satan, I demand them. He lays claim and he has every right to you. If the blood of Jesus Christ has not been shed over your life, Satan has every right. And that is why Jesus came and suffered the way he did, that his blood would be shed over you. And he is a savior to all who will receive him. So this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you're in here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is the most important decision you will ever make, bar none. This is it. Will you accept that? Because Satan right now would be in heaven demanding you. And you've got no right apart from Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear. Declare that he is Lord. Say it. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And I'm going to give you to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray along with me and to declare that very thing this morning. Would you join with me in focused prayer? Oh God, my Father, our Father. Oh Lord, that is not something that we take lightly. The ability to just as Jesus call you our Father. And Lord, I know the enemy right now would even cause distractions from every mind in this place that is not submitted to you. Distractions and doubts and deceptions right now in our minds. But Lord, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would lay hold of every mind and every heart in this moment and that you would call as only you can and speak directly to hearts as only you can and that you would soften hard hearts as only you can and work in our hearts as only you can right now. And Father, I just pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit for any who are in here who have not declared Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives surrendered themselves to him, asked for salvation, repented, and turned from their wicked ways. If they have not done that, God, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that you would grip their hearts and say, today is the day of your salvation. It is only in Jesus Christ. And right now I declare you as Lord of my life, Lord of my heart. You have it all. It is all yours. You are Lord today. You are Lord I believe in my heart that you are who you said you were. That you went to the cross for me. And that the Father raised you again. And that same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave can be at work within me. And I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I believe that. I stand on that in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. And Father, I pray for any who are here who just prayed that for the first time, declared you Lord, said I believe in my heart. Oh, do a work in them, oh God. A work that is so much greater than they ever expected in the name of Jesus, I pray. Father, I pray for this church. Call us. May we hear Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit saying, watch with me. May we hear that. May we be focused in prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Because if we believe that you are working in a new way in this church and through this church, it must begin with prayer. Call us to it in the name of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask. And I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.